0: truly say that this morning that it is well with your soul. Last night I saw some photos of our sanctuary all dressed up for Journey Off the Map. Didn't Chris LaTulip do a great job building that tree fort? So I got all excited about Journey Off the Map and apparently I'm a day early because nobody else is dressed up. So you'll, take me, so you'll take me at least the least bit serious. I'll take my hat and, off and put my stick away. And if, I'm not sure if Steve mentioned it earlier, uh, but there is a Bible study class for adults that's a part of our BVS, and so if you'd like to be a part of that, we'd love to have you join in. I know that Jane Rattray and Barbara Grippo have been doing a lot to prepare for that, so it should be a great week together. Perhaps many of you, like me, have witnessed this in the store before. You've been in the checkout line, or you've been moving through the store, and you see a, a parent of a young child... And they are not having fun because their child is having a major meltdown in the store over something they cannot have. You know, they're, they're standing in the checkout line and they really want that bag of M&Ms. And they're just, their whole world has come apart. And they're crying and screaming and etc. Or they're standing in the middle of an aisle somewhere. They're looking at a little red ball that they just have to have. Even though they got 16 more of those at home. 15 of which they cannot find, but they've got, you know, and, and they're just, you know, and, they want, and, and, and we've all witnessed that, right? And as fellow parents and as fellow human beings, there's a way in which our heart goes out to them saying, you poor people, you know, we've been there, done that, glad I'm not doing that again, right? You know, kind of idea. But, but you know, from a pastor's perspective, I've started to see that just a little differently. Because that is the beginning of a journey that we never get to get away from. And that is the journey of our relationship with stuff, things. You know, even at the age of two, and it lasts until we're 102, and all the ages in between, we wrestle with how we are going to interact with and relate to stuff. Things, material possessions that we have, the wealth that we can acquire, all those kinds of things. And and at the very earliest moments of our journey, we we start to reach out and define our joy. We, we begin to let stuff govern how we feel. And then as we get older, we let it govern how we act. Right? Lots of our decisions are governed by how much we can get or how much we're going to lose and this and that and, and all those kinds of things and, and stuff, things, material possessions become a dominant thing in our lives. I mean, we can't avoid it. We're kind of immersed in it. It's like we're, we're swimming in it. I mean, this morning all of you woke up in some residence that you're living in, in whether it's a small apartment or whether you're living in a, a big mansion or something in between. You woke up in a home. All of you I think woke up in a bed. I don't think any of you were sleeping on the floor. Maybe, but probably not. You're not so you're sleeping in a bed. You know, you 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 went downstairs, you you made coffee or got a drink or had breakfast in the kitchen. You went out and you climbed in a car and you drove over here. You put on clothes. I mean, stuff is a part of our lives, right? And and and, and we can't run away from it. We cannot avoid it. And yet somehow or another this stuff that was not designed to be to be evil in and of itself, somehow or another we have this ability to allow it to become a competitor in our lives for the place that God could have and should have in our lives. Jesus encountered that one day in Luke chapter 12. And I'd love for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Our text today is on page 883 in your pew Bibles. We've been working through a series this summer entitled the greatest stories ever told. And we've been looking at parables, the parables of Jesus. And I've been trying to take us off the beaten path just a little bit and look at some of the parables we often don't spend a lot of time with. You know, Jesus taught over 46 different parables. And so we're not going to do all of those. So I've been trying to kind of get ourselves out there on some of the ones that maybe we're less familiar with. I actually raised this one in my Tuesday morning group this week. And you can see immediately the kind of challenge you have as a pastor. We read this parable, and I said, well, what do you guys think the point is? And one of the guys said, giving. You know, I'm not giving enough. And I'm thinking, all right, you know, it's just, and, then it's, and, that, and everybody's defense mechanisms go right up, right? That's it. Tune out. I don't want to listen kind of idea. I, I want to lower your defense mechanisms just a little bit. And, and let's have a healthy conversation between ourselves and God about this issue in our lives. It's not going anywhere. And how we answer this question is extremely important on where how we're going to walk with God, what our faith experience is going to be like. It's even going to affect to a certain extent the experience of eternity for us and in the midst of all of that I, I don't think that God is saying that we need to be the poorest of the poor we're going to read a, a, a quote in here that sometimes we can take it out of context and think and push it too far and that kind of thing but but there are some healthy things for us to consider. So let me pick up the story in, in verse 13. Jesus is in the midst of a huge crowd, just a huge group of people have gathered together. Once again, people are stepping over on one another and doing all these kinds of things. And, and, and in the midst of this, he's doing some teaching. And this is this, it says just someone from the crowd. So here's a random guy in the crowd. Right? He just, he just stands up and he says, teacher. Some of your Bibles may say rabbi. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Kind of random, right? So here he is. He's standing before the Son of God who's teaching all kinds of things about how to relate to the kingdom, be in the kingdom, the value of the kingdom, all that kind of good stuff. This is the guy who can heal people. This is the one who can grant eternal life. And the guy said, my brother won't give me my stuff. I want my stuff, (laughs) you know? You might think, well, why is he asking Jesus this question? Actually, the rabbis often answered or settled these kind of disputes for people because this was, it was, there were very strict Jewish laws about how the inheritance get divided up. And so the rabbis, as the lawyers, as the teachers, as the keepers of the law, they often were the arbitrators in getting this all settled out. And the way it worked, the law, was that the oldest brother got twice the share of any of the other brothers. So if there were two sons, then the older brother got two-thirds, the younger brother got one-third. If there were three sons, the older brother got half, and they each got a quarter. If there were four, you know, the, the older brother got 40%, and the other three got 20%. That's just the kind of way it worked. It was it a was standard law, if you will. So this guy, he comes to Jesus, and he says, tell my brother to give me my share of the inheritance. doesn't say what's going on. We don't know what's going on. Who knows? May, maybe the market was down. The brother's waiting for it to come back up. Maybe he's waiting for the harvest to come in or, or whatever. Or maybe he just didn't like his little brother. And he was trying to tweak him just a little bit, make him a good idea. But he said, and Jesus responds, friend, and that's not a great translation. This is like, you know, dude. You know, he, he, he just, it, it's, it's kind of a derisionary term towards this guy. He's like, dude, you know, why are you asking me that? He says, friend, he said, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? And then he looks out at the crowd, and he tells them, watch out. Stand stand guard like a night watch. Watch out and be on guard against all greed. Not just some greed, all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Some of your translations may read that even when one has a lot of possessions, life does not consist in that. Then he tells them a parable. One of the greatest stories ever told. He says, a rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what shall I do? What should I do? Since I don't have anywhere to store my crops. He says, so here's a guy. He's having a bumper crop. He's got some of the fertile soil. He's got the bottom land. It's just grown more. And he's looking at his barn, and it's at 100% capacity. Where am I going to put the harvest? says, I'll do this. He said, I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build, big, build bigger ones, and I'll store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. He said, you know what? If I tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I get enough stuff, then I'll be able to say I'm going to be happy forever. Jesus goes on with the stories. But God said to him, you fool. That's why this is known as the parable of the rich fool. It says, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself. It is not rich towards God. So here's a guy who's being blessed, and he's only thought is, how can I consume more blessing? And with that, he leaves himself poor or a pauper towards God. But the story doesn't really end there. I think often we want to stop the parable there, but Jesus goes on. He says, then he said to his disciples. Now, he's teaching to the whole crowd. He tells this parable. Now, he, he looks at the disciples, and he said, listen, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life what you will eat, or, what, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, and these were actually, ravens were considered to be unclean birds, right? Consider the ravens, even those birds that are unclean, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't have a storeroom, or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth just a little bit more <laughs> than the birds? Can any of you add a cubit can any of you add even, that's an 18 inches. I don't think any of us would say, like, to be 18 inches taller. I, I don't want to be 18 inches taller. I, I don't think I could find pants to fit me. So, you know, but, you know, I, I wouldn't mind being 6'2", instead of 5'9", 5'10", 5'9 somewhere in there. I always claim 5'10". It looks better with your weight distribution curve, if you're a little, <laughs> of, you're an inch taller kind of idea. <laughs> yeah. My wife's going to tell me too much information. You don't need to do that kind of stuff. Can any of you add a cubit to his height by worrying? If then you were unable to do even a little thing like that, what, why worry about any of the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor, or they or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was adorned like one of these. Solomon was known for just these elaborate beautiful robes that he used to wear. He, you know, he, he was the, the fashion king you know, of his day. And, and, and he always looked spectacular. And Jesus says, you know what, Solomon in all of his glory didn't look at all like the beauty of a field that's just become a wash with the flowers that come from the heavy rains. He says if that's how God clothes, clothes the grass, and he's really referring here to a, a wildflower that jumps up you know, with, with good rainfall and then as the sun hits the next day it, it, it begins to fade away. Which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow. They didn't have much wood in Palestine so they, they used grass a lot to fuel their fires to, to cook with. He says, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow. How much more will he do for you you of little faith? Don't keep striving for what you should eat and what you should drink and, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world for the kingdoms of the world eagerly seek all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Here's what you do, but seek first this kingdom, and these things will be provided to you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And now, looking at verse 33, I don't believe that Jesus is trying to create a, a, a state of holy poppers. you know, where the, the idea that, that Christians are created the first international welfare state, you know, where we, we're we always giving everything away that we have, and so we're always in need to take from somebody else. I don't think that's what Jesus is, is trying to say here. I think what Jesus is trying to say is we need to hold on to everything and enjoy it as a blessing as we have it and as there is kingdom reason to pass it on to others we need to be ready to do so so you, you know you, you you got stuff and you have not i mean the apostle john as far as we know he lived in jerusalem taking care of mary the mother of jesus until she died i mean he had a home he had a place to live he was able to take care of her he didn't give all that stuff away but when it was done he started traveling around the world you know traveling and we know he spent a lot of time in ephesus and you know i i, I think a lot of this like my golf swing right you know the 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 the, the firmer I grip the club, the worse the shot. The looser I keep my hands, the better I do. And that's a lot of the same relationship that we should have with our possessions. The, holder, the tighter holding on to them, the less of a real blessing they're going to be to us. The looser we hold on to them in terms of a resource, we'll talk a little bit more about it. Lay up, make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes in, and no moth destroys. But where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So his, his point to us is what you think is most important, what you value most, that's where your heart's going to run. And somehow or another in this journey that we have, and it starts when we're two, when we're looking at the fresh new Pez dispenser that we just got to have that's on the candy rack kind of thing, you know, the, whatever. We, we, we start to say, you know what, this is what's most important. And, and so as we define stuff as being what really gives us joy, produces happiness, it's what, it's what other people envy, then our hearts start running in that direction. In this whole context, Jesus is saying, be careful, be careful. Now, you know, we're not going to... I hope to, be, to renew a conversation that I hope that you're already having with God about all of this stuff. And I want you to know this is the same conversation I have to have. You know, and, and there's, there's a number of different ways in which you and I need to frame this conversation with God about just where we stand in our allegiance in terms of where our heart is related to stuff and God. And here's, here's, a, here's a few pieces that I'd like to pull out for you to think about and to converse with God about as you move forward. And, and the first thing is, I want you to realize that we need to be eternally on guard not to define ourselves by what we have. Look at verse 15. Jesus couldn't have said it any clearer. He says, watch out. Be on guard. You know? Take the Marines and put them on the perimeter and make sure that they guard your heart against all greed. This wanton desire just to get more because one's life, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Guard against defining yourselves by what you have. Because even when you have an abundance, it doesn't define who you are. And ultimately, it really can't insulate you from life. So you want to ask the question, how can I tell? How can I tell if I am finding my identity in stuff? Just a few things that I think are helpful for us is just replay the tapes of your conversation financially over the last six months, a year. And, and just ask yourself the question, how many, how much, what percentage of the time am I saying I want or I prefer or I will as to asking the question God wants, God's prefers. this is what God wants me to do? Just, just run the tape on that. I'm hoping and praying that many of you say, you know, I'm not doing too bad in that area. Here's another litmus test I give you on whether or not you're defining your identity and what you have. I remember when our kids were younger, you know, 8, 10, 12 years old, right? They'd, they'd get asked out to their friend's house. They'd go over for a birthday party or whatever. They'd go spend the night or whatever. And then they'd come home and they say, how come we can't have a house like them? You know, how come we can't have a house like that, like, like them? You know, and, and I'd say, well, listen, you know, I'd do this or whatever. You know, maybe if I had gone to law school, you know, w- w- which was what I w- thought I was going to do when I went to college and that kind of stuff. Say, well, why didn't you go to law school, Dad? <laughs> you know, we don't have a pool in the backyard, you know, and this and that. Now, listen, my kids, my kids weren't deprived. Their grandparents took them to Florida because they had a house there. Most of the times in the winter, summers, we went every single weekend up to, to southern New Hampshire, and they got the ride on the wave runner and swim and tube and ski. But none of that stuff really mattered because all they could see was our house wasn't like everybody else's house. You know, everybody else had a pool in their backyard, had bigger bedrooms, they had a playroom where you could hang out with their friends and not bother their parents. Whatever. And they hardly ever invited their friends to our house. Now, we don't think we do that as adults. Baloney. Let me tell you a story. And, and and I don't know if that's happening here at Hope Chapel or not. I hope not, but I'll tell you a story. I know of a situation, a family, that was in a church, and they've done pretty well. And so they've been very generous with, the, with, with their resources for the kingdom and that kind of stuff, but they also have a pretty nice home. A number of years ago, they bought 26 acres. They built a house, all that kind of stuff. Got engaged with this church, wanted to build relationships with people. they invite people over for dinner, over for cookouts, this and that. They never got invited back to the other people's houses. Never reciprocated. Do you know why? Because their house was nicer. Where This person's house was nicer than the people's house that came over. And because of that, they say, you know, you wouldn't want to come to my house because it's not as nice as yours. You're defining your identity by what you have. You're saying, this person wouldn't want to come socialize with me where I live because my house isn't as nice as theirs. You're defining yourself by your stuff. And Jesus says, be on guard. Because I don't care how big your house is or what size of tent you're living in. Your life doesn't consist of that stuff. We've got to watch the conversation. I think Jesus presents that we're going to have basically one of three different orientations towards stuff. And one comes out in the parable, one comes out in his teaching, and the other is the culmination of the whole thing. You and I are going to have one of three attitudes towards stuff. One is, one attitude is, how can I get more? That, that's, the, how can I get more stuff? How, how can I, how can I, how can I make more money? How can I accumulate more wealth? How can I be be more secure, that kind of stuff. That's what the rich fool is doing, right? He's got fertile land. He's got a great problem on his hands. He, he's got more money than he knows what to do with, right? And so his solution is, and notice, Jesus is very intentional in the way he tells this parable. He says, you know, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll make bigger ones. And I'll be able to say to myself, he, he's looking at everything through his own journey. And he's saying, how can I get more? How can I get more? And really, in many ways, I mean, there's, that's a huge temptation for a lot of us. And it usually is something that probably is more about those who are somewhat successful in the world's journey. How, how, how can I capitalize on this? while well, I got it going, and we want to get more and more and more. Now, there's a different position than that. One attitude is, how do I get more? The other attitude is, I'm worried I don't have enough. What does Jesus say? Don't worry. <laughs> Can any of you add a cubit to this? I tell you, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or where you're going to sleep or what you're going to wear. You know? But many of us, our consumption is, where we're focused is, I'm worried I don't have enough. And just like the person who keeps asking, how can I get more? And that drives their decision-making patterns, which often take them away from God. Those of us who are on the other end of the scenario are saying, I'm not sure I have enough. That concern drives our decisions, and we don't do with the stuff that we have what God wants us to do. Same result. Different path, but you arrive at the same place, Right? Person's got a lot thinking, how do I get more? They're driving all their decisions about how do I move up the ladder change? How do I leverage my investments? All those kinds of stuff. And, and you know, I can't afford, you know, I'll have a lot more money to give later if I just make more now. And, we, and they, they, they just go right around and they're not really doing what God asked them to do. But when we're on the other end saying, I'm not sure I have enough, we say, well, I, I can't afford to give. I can't serve. I, you know, I can't serve because they got to take the second job and this and that and whatever. And we're, and, and we land up in the exact same place. Well, we, can't do with what, we can't do what God wants us to do with what we have because we're worried we don't have enough. The last attitude is, is you and I are going to be faced with this temptation to take what God has given us, and we're either going to receive it as a blessing for ourselves that we can also use to bless others, or we're going to see it as a way where we can insulate ourselves from the providence and sovereignty of God so that no matter what happens, we can be happy. Right? This is what this guy's saying in the parable, right? He, you know, he's, he's like, you know what? If I get enough stuff stuck away in the barn, I don't care what goes on in the world, I'm going to be able to say to myself, take it easy, be happy, enjoy life. He's going to be independent from God in terms of his joy and his happiness. And Jesus says, you know, this, this guy's an idiot. Because he could have the biggest bank account in the world, and God could show up and say, it's time to come home. Everything you've got is going to go somewhere else. You know, and, and so is the man, he says, who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. And, and I got to tell you that that I don't, I don't care if your bank account is in the six figures or seven figures or if it's not even in, to the four figures, we face this challenge of whether or not we're going to take what God has given us and use it as a blessing, a blessing to ourselves. I I, I don't think it's God saying you shouldn't have anything. I don't think he's saying you should live in the smallest house in the worst neighborhood and drive the oldest car. I I don't think that's necessarily the agenda for everybody. And, 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 you know, I, I have a motorcycle. It's got a BMW label on the side of it. I bought it used. It was half of a new Honda, you know, that kind of idea. But, still, but it's something I enjoy. I, I don't think that's a sin. But i got to tell you, if, it all, if I wasn't given the way I was supposed to be and all those kinds of things, that stuff would be in a inappropriate. If I was diverting kingdom resources off, if I'm not in a position to help those in, who need, that, that, then it is out of perspective. I believe God wants to bless us, but he also wants us to hold those blessings in a way that we can use them to bless others. But when you and I are trying to acquire all this stuff to say, "Now I'm finally secure," really the only security that comes is comes from God. And if we're making decisions that move us away from God in order to reach a place where we feel like we're secure, then we're struggling with exactly what Jesus is talking about here. So that leads me to our concluding point. All right? This guy hits it on the nail head in verse 17. This rich man whose land was very productive, he thought to himself, he asked himself this question, what should I do? And Let me tell you, that's the question that you should be asking yourself this morning. And it's the question I need to be asking myself. What should I do? It's an unavoidable question. It's a critical question. I think it's an eternal question for us. So the only real question then for us is, what's our answer? What's going to be our answer? Are we going to be, we going to lay up treasures for ourselves, or are we going to be rich towards God? Are we going to have a money purse, we might use the word a bank account, that's never going to go empty, it's never going to get broken into, nobody's going to hack our password and drain our account because it's laid up in, in the kingdom. Or are we going to try to snarl it away and keep it for ourselves? What shall I do? Let's pray together. You know, God, I think for most of us, we'd say, I'd much rather hear about your love. I'd much rather talk about grace. I'd much rather talk about forgiveness. About all those kinds of things because, boy, those are just things that that just that are just so neat and etc. but when we boil it down to this place of the, really the the brass tacks of whether or not we're really laying up treasures for ourselves in a place that that we just can't ever lose it, that gets really close to home. And God, you know, the biggest thing I I sense through all of this is sometimes it's just really hard for us to see where our heart is. We're so immersed in in it, it's so prevailing around us It's really hard for us to step back and see a position of where we're at so we know what we should do. Father, I pray for that spirit of wisdom for us today, that sense of discernment, that we'd be able to recognize where our heart is and then we'd have the faith to do what we should do, to lay up treasure in heaven. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.